when you read, uh, when you read Ezekiel, you can, you can get, after a while, you just, it, I'm, I'm, I want to pull out of this now. I've been told I've not been able to source this. You need to put a warning circle around this. Not been able to source it, but I've been told by a couple of Jewish rabbis through the years that traditionally they don't want their people to read Ezekiel until they're at least 30 years old because they're afraid it'll scramble their circuits. Now, that's not their words. That's mine because it's so odd. Well, you know, sometimes I'll get off on a riff here on quantum physics, and my wife is over there trying to, you know, to fire a, a tranquilizer dart at me to get me to stop. But one of the things I keep telling you is that the universe is far stranger than anything you could imagine. And Ezekiel kind of pulls open a little door and lets you see that. Jeremiah, at the same time, was prophesying in Jerusalem. But Nebuchadnezzar had already made one run through and grabbed a whole bunch of the Israelites and the king had let them go. They had no choice. And what they do is they take them, they brutalize the, the, the ruling family, uh, they scar them, mark them, kill them any way they can, and then they take the ruling family to be their servants. And that's where we'll get the book of Daniel in a bit. Then they'll take the priest and they'll take other important families and they'll stick them in the desert in a, a horrible refugee camp. That's Ezekiel. You'll also find others uh, around Daniel like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But back in Jerusalem, there were still people. Jeremiah was preaching at the same time Ezekiel was going through this, at the same time Daniel was go and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing what they were doing. So God is all over, but none of it looks good at this stage. Ezekiel was from Jeremiah's hometown. They might very well have known each other, might have grown up together, although Ezekiel is probably a bit younger. The village of Anathoth, the, the village where priests came from. This is where priests were trained. But Ezekiel was taken as captive before he finished his training. He would never serve God in the temple in Jerusalem. He would never see the temple again. Now think about that for a moment. A captive among other depressed, broken captives living in a refugee camp. The fires of thousands of refugee camp fires going up using any rubbish they could use for fuel. The smoke is in the air. The heat. You're a long way from green Palestine. You're in a desert. There's something they call a river there, the uh, River Chabar, but it's not really a river. By this time, it has become a drainage ditch. It is, as you've seen, the poor in Asia, the poor in South America and the like, they're living by a little muddy stream that is their water, their laundry, and their bathroom. It is horrific. It is an awful place for them to be. Add to that, broken Ezekiel. His career is over before it got started. It's just over. He's no longer connected to the land of his people. And that was, that was a fate worse than death to a Jew. 
you would make sure that the land was passed on to your people, that the people could always be on your land, and now he'll never be back there. If ever he has children, they'll never see that land. The people who might be able to help him get through this depression, fellow priest, they don't even know who Moses and the books of the law, they don't know any of that stuff. Remember, Josiah had found it, and in the middle of the Reformation, dies, and the next kings overhaul and turn it all back to paganism. They don't know God's law. They don't know God's will. They probably couldn't quote the Psalms. They're stuck out there on their own. And he's been there for five years in that position. Put yourself in his position. Refugee camp, broken dreams, never going home, didn't get to finish his education, nobody to back him up. Five years, no response from God. Standing, he walks out of the camp. I don't know why he walks out, but he walks out of the camp and stands by that drainage, stinking drainage dip, uh, ditch, the, uh, the smoke of the fires in the air. And that's where he met God. That's something about God. Every time you think you know what he's going to do next, he does something completely different or he does nothing for a long time and then he does something different. He never does what you expect. The birth of Jesus. We look upon that and it's a Christmas card. Seriously? The world's in trouble, needs saved, send in a baby. You don't expect this. But God always does it different. Ezekiel looks up. I want to set the stage. He looks up and he sees a windstorm coming. That happens a lot out there. It's as bad as West Texas for those of you that have been there. Uh, the dust storm is coming. Take cover. But he's outside the camp. There's no real cover in the camp at this stage. A cloud is coming. Uh, but it's not a cloud. It's boiling. It's, it's swirling and it's moving in a strange way. This cloud is alive. And Ezekiel is about to be introduced to the oddity that will be the rest of his life. His language devolves at this point in Ezekiel chapter 1. He can no longer say, this is what I saw. He'll say, it was in a manner as it was like. It was kind of, it just, he has no words for this as he tries to describe something in the cloud, but it's not a cloud. It's a cloud. No, it's, it's not a cloud, and there are things in there. There are a group of creatures in the cloud, and they're so bizarre that his unworldly descriptions of them make our jaws drop 2,600 years later. He just throws out images, light, burning metal, spinning, faces of men, but also of the strongest, fastest, wisest of animals. They spin around and their wings, their wings are cutting the air. It makes a sound, a sound of, a, of cutting, of slicing. No, a sound of burning. Ezekiel's about to meet God. These creatures are moving so swiftly that this is what really intrigues Ezekiel. No matter which way you look, they're already watching you. We've all seen relatives put, because you would never do this, but relatives put up cheap, chintzy art. 
that no matter where you walked in the house, Elvis was looking at you. Or Jesus. Some people get them confused. And as you're walking about, no matter where you are, they're watching you. They're watching you. This is different. This is no matter which way you look, they're already there. They turn and move so fast, they're not really moving, they're just there. Now, any quantum physics, physicist reading this goes, yes, exactly. The rest of the people on the planet look at this and say, that's just bizarre. But something can inhabit more than one place at the same time. And when you look this way, it switches. When you look that way, it switches. But there's no actual switching. It's just there. They move so swiftly. He just said, I, I, it's light. It's smoke. He starts trying. It's like looking through a kaleidoscope and saying, describe what you see while I turn. Describe it quickly. Spinning wheels within wheels. A clash of crystals bouncing around and swirling around. Who are, what is this? this I'll tell you what it is. Ezekiel's going to find out. This is the personal assistant group, the landing party, the bodyguard, the recon force of the God of Israel. And they have come to a drainage ditch in Babylon. You know, I bet Jeremiah would have loved to have seen this. But God didn't give it to him. I bet Daniel would have loved to have seen it and shown it to Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't get it. An unemployed, not entirely qualified priest in a refugee camp. God's come to talk to him. God chooses who he chooses. Ezekiel will see these creatures again in Ezekiel chapter 10 where he gives them a name, cherubs. And we have blown that completely, haven't we? We make little cherubs, these little fat babies with rosy cheeks with toy bows and arrows like that's a, a wise thing to hand a small child. And we say it's all about love and we make it Valentine's. There's, there's a history to that. It's boring. I won't go into it. In the Bible, cherubs are some of the most terrifying creatures in existence. They are, usually he calls them the living creatures. That's, all, that's the only words he could get. And then... The swirling, moving, thundering, lightning, shaking, fire stops right in front of Ezekiel. And this is what they say. Let's put that up, please. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of, of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. And there came a voice from over the vault above the vault, over their heads, as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. And, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I, I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that there, from there down, he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on, on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. Then I saw it. I fell face down. Good move, Ezekiel. Good move. 
and I heard the voice of one speaking. He said to me, son of man. By the way, son of man was just another way of saying, you're just a guy. Hey, guy, buddy, stand on your feet and I'll speak to you. As he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. He said, son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. The call. He got the call. They, da, Jeremiah got his call. This is his call. Ezekiel would go on to preach to the people in a variety of ways, shall we say. Jeremiah was trying sermons. And you might not like sermons. A little secret here, because I know you won't tell anybody. I'm not thrilled with them either, most of the time. That's one of the reasons I'm a minister. I got tired of listening to him. And it's more fun up here. A little job suggestion for some of you. Um, it's kind of like being a doctor for the first time in your life. You're on the right side of the needle, you know. But if you don't like sermons, God has other ways of getting his point across and read Ezekiel. You might like sermons better. God literally picks up Ezekiel, spins his life around, drops him back in front of the people and says, I got some ideas. And Ezekiel becomes Picasso. Now, some of you are art history majors. You know an awful lot more about art than I do. My wife's an interior designer. She knows an awful lot more about art than I'll ever know. But I know when I look at a Rembrandt and there's a guy where his ears are going to be. And I know he's a person with one nose. And then I look at Picasso and I'm thinking, they, people pay money for this. I see a Jackson Pollock, and I'm going, it looks like he fell down the stairs and spilled his paints. And I'm aware that's ignorance on my part. I'm not knocking these people. I'm, I'm saying, I don't get it. God gets a Jackson Pollock and a Picasso, stirs well, and says, preach that. He's now a watchman on the wall. Very famous passage, Ezekiel 33, 1 through 7. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, when I bring the sword against a land, and the, the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people, then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not heed the, the warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. Son of man. I've made you a watchman for the people of Israel. 
So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. We are the watchmen as well. In chapter 3, there's another version of this, if you ever want to read that. We are watchmen. God says, you tell people about Jesus. Tell people about the refuge that is 4th Avenue Church. Tell them there are broken people out there. They're not giving up on God. They're giving up on what they've seen of church. Show them. Now, if you tell them and they don't come, it's on them. But if you don't tell them and they're lost, it's on you. You're a watchman on the wall. This is serious business to be a Christian. Always has been. So, Ezekiel preaches. He preaches by creating a model of the city of Jerusalem and then laying siege to it. He preaches by laying on his side to illustrate the judgment against Jerusalem. I know you're thinking, I don't get it. That's the point. If they weren't going to listen to other sermons, God was going to try this. He preaches by shaving his hair off and burning some, placing other bits here and there. Okay. In chapter 8, it goes all Alice in Wonderland. I do wonder, I've often wondered whether Lewis Carroll read Ezekiel before he wrote Alice in Wonderland. Because he's taken up by a cherub or some similar angelic being and taken here and there to see what God wants him to do. Then he's commanded to drop, to dig a hole into a wall as an illustration of judgment. Goes back and forth in there. He sees angels going door to door making marks on the faithful while other people don't see anything. He sees them going door to door marking the faithful. God will not judge those that have his mark. Some of you might be teetering on the edge of faith. When you hear these things, you're thinking, these are fairy stories. I would implore you to get a little bit deeper in science than you've been. We are able now to see that most of the things in the universe we can't see or even find. Dark matter makes up 90, 94% of the universe and we can't find it. But we know it's there because of its effects. We don't know what it's made of, but we do know a little bit about what it does. What about dark energy? It's different than dark matter. I don't even want to get started on that one. If you ever could see what is really there, you'll either go insane or you'll drop to your knees in prayer. Ezekiel had the choice. He went to prayer. Evil, crawling creatures. When he walks in, other people are laughing and having a party, but he sees evil creatures crawling all over them. Evil angels laughing as they ensnare one after the other. And God's telling Ezekiel, that's reality. They're blind. They don't see what you see. He preaches by making a pot. Cooking, I'm not going to, it's a really rough book, and this is fifth Sunday, so you got children in here. He puts things in the pot that should never be in a cooking pot, shall we say. In Ericksonian therapy, years later, not Eric, but Milton Erickson, his therapy later on, these would be called aha stories. Stories that are told that you don't get for a day, a month, years. And then one day you turn around in the corner and you go, oh, oh. 
That's what a lot of the parables were as well. Aha stories. Sometimes they can only be understood after time passes and people have dropped their guard. There are many complex messages in Ezekiel. I will warn you that there are scriptures, there are verses in Ezekiel that if I quoted them today, even if the children were not with us, if I quoted them, I would lose my job. Because the graphic, crude, sexual imagery, and I mean crude, worse than anything you're going to hear in an R-rated movie, is right there. He's going to, God's going to shock us. God's going to confuse us. He's going to do whatever he can do, but there are two big messages. One, God is over all nations, even if they don't know it. And two, God demands that no matter what happens to us, even if we're five years in silence by the river Chibar in a refugee camp, we live holy lives. We do not have an option. We live holy lives. That's hard road sometimes. We're going to take a little break from this and take a look at one of the prophecies just to show you that God is over all nations thing. And the next week, take a look at a couple of more of the prophecies. Here's the prophecy. It really is, uh, it's in a couple places. We're going to look at Ezekiel 26, 1 through 6. In the 11th month of the 12th year, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, because Tyre has said to, to Jerusalem, aha, the gate to the nations is broken and its doors have swung open to me. Now that she lies in ruins, I will prosper. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Tyre, and I will bring many nations against you. Like the sea casting up its waves, they will destroy the walls of Tyre and pull down her towers. I will scrape away her rubble and make her a bare rock. Out in the sea, she will become a place to spread fish nets, for I have spoken declares the sovereign Lord. She will become plunder for her nations and her settlements on the mainland will be ravaged by the sword. They will know that I am the Lord. Now, that sounds like a typical Old Testament prophecy, but it isn't. The city of Tyre was the Switzerland of the day. It was the first international banking city on the planet. Nobody messed with Tyre because that's where the money was. They... It, it's, it's nobody invades Switzerland. Couple reasons. That's where all the money is. And every man is a member of the army and he has an automatic weapon at home. And that's discouraging to invading armies. By the way, if you didn't know that, there were plans during World War II to invade the west coast of America. And the reason it was turned down was as one Japanese general said, in America, you would have to fight men with a rifle behind every bush. So they said, let's not do that. Switzerland, the Germans come and they go around it. Why? Too dangerous. And that's where the money is. Tyre wasn't armed to the teeth, but they were armed. But that's where all the money was. And it says, all the nations, I want, well, let's just do this. All the nations will come against Switzerland. And they will destroy you. And they will scrape your cities clean and throw the rocks into the sea because that's part of the prophecy. And nobody will ever live in Switzerland again. Have you been to Switzerland? It's pretty. Somebody's going to go live there. Tyre wasn't as pretty as Switzerland, but it was unheard of 
to not live there again. You always just build another city on top of it if it got knocked down. If it burned up or whatever, you just build another city on top of it. That's why you'd have the seven cities of Troy or Jericho. They found about five cities so far. You keep building there. This was just bizarre. And then Nebuchadnezzar comes against Tyre. Why? We don't know. Nebuchadnezzar was insane. He was. Remember, he went for a period of time thinking he was an animal. That's in Daniel. But he always was a nut. So he comes down and he gets his army around Tyre. But the problem is we've got to set this up. Tyre's over here. We're going to make it this speaker, monitor, whatever it is, right here. Here is the land. This is the Mediterranean Sea. So they come to the point, and they don't, can't really surround it because Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have ships. He hadn't thought this out. He says, open up your gates to me, and the Tyrians laugh, and they say, no, we're not going to do that. Oh, I, did I, we're going to talk about that in a bit. Hang on, did I want to do that? Yeah, don't do that yet. We'll get there. Um, maybe. Anyway, so open up your gates, we're going to take you. And they said, no, you're not. And he said, yes, we are. And they did that for a while. In fact, they did that for 13 years. After a while, uh, Tyrians didn't run out of water because they had ships. They just got it. They went over and got it. And they got food and supplies that way. And you might say, well, why didn't you just knock down the walls? With what? This is 600 BC. I mean, you could grab Harvey and run his head into it if you wanted to, but there wasn't a whole lot of technology to help you. The waiting game wasn't working, so Nebu and it was, in, it was messing with their business as well. So Nebuchadnezzar had a, um, a parley with the leaders. You can't make this stuff up. And said, tell you what, let's just do this symbolically. On a, we're going to pull back. On a certain day, we will march forward. You open your gates. I'll walk in. We'll shake hands, and we'll call it a done deal and I'll go away. And that's exactly what they did. Very civil way of ending a war. He walks in, except they're not there. And neither is any of their stuff. They have taken it all over to that, whatever that is. There's an island three quarters of a mile offshore. Uh, not quite that far, sorry. Quarter of a mile offshore. And they'd been taking everything over there and building a whole new city. And now they're over there. So whenever he walks in, there's nothing to get. He gets real mad and knocks a few things down, but then he leaves. That's not the whole prophecy. Well, then Alexander the Great marches down. He's going to take Tyre. They say, no, you're not. He says, yes, I am. But Alexander the Great is not insane. Well, maybe, but not as insane. So he... Um, immediately says, we're going to just tear you up. And they, they remember their ploy. And they say, what if you pull back? Then on a certain date, you walk in, we'll all shake hands. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, I'm sorry, Alexander the Great pulled back a bit. They went to their island. But Alexander the Great went, no, that's not going to work. And he spent the next year tearing apart the city of Tyre, throwing it into the Mediterranean Sea and building a path to the island. It's a great, if you ever want to study military history, it's an amazing feat of work that he did. Got, it, got all the way there, destroyed Tyre, scraped that, threw that off into the water. And nobody 
lives there even now. But just like Ezekiel said, fishermen do use it to dry nets. The most bizarre thing. You think laying on your side to preach a sermon or building a model then destroying it is, is odd? What about destruction of Tyre in a way like this? That's more bizarre. God's saying, if you don't believe what you don't see, let me show you what you can see. It's all through Ezekiel. The world is an odd place. Our job is to be holy in it, period. Even if you can't see, we believe. Do you remember what Jesus said? You believe because you've seen. He talked to one of his disciples. Blessed are those who believe who have not seen. So what is our response? I've got to close this down for this morning so we can go to those classes I talked about for our last meeting before the summer switch. Ezekiel 18. Look at 18 verse 20. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt to the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt to the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them. The wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. Now, you might say, I'm not really sure of the application here. Sure you are. We can either constantly worry about the state of the world and constantly wonder why God's not doing things the way we would do that. And we could, all, we could spend our entire life moaning about the state in which we find ourselves. Or we can say some, something such as this. You know something? Those that do the will of the Lord, he will credit. Those that are righteous, he will He'll notice. The wicked will do what the wicked will do, but the righteous should do what the righteous should do. We're going to be righteous. Verses 21 through 23. Here's the good news. But if a wicked person turns away from all the sins they have committed and keeps my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live. They will not die. None of the offenses they have committed will be remembered against them because of the righteous things they have done. They will live. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Seeing the world fall apart, losing everything you have, being swept away by calamity caused by others, is not an excuse to coast or quit. We have to be willing to stand before the ditch and look for God. As Mark comes up to lead us in our, our last song before we break for a class, I want you to remember something that happened to Elijah. Elijah had a great victory, but then he was being threatened and he ran and he hid in a cave. Whenever God finally talked him out of the cave to talk to him a little bit, it was done in a still small voice. Elijah kept looking for God in the big things, but he says, no, it'll be, it's in the small. You look for them in the small. Elijah's excuse was, I'm the only one left. All of Israel's gone bad. I'm the only one left. God made sure he knew he wasn't the only one left, but the fact remains, if you're the only righteous person left, your job just got bigger. It didn't go away. It's not an excuse to quit. It means get to work. 
make more. Would you stand, please? Joshua was about to die. And he had some decisions he had to help the people make. They were going to have to go on without him, without the visible leadership of God like they had received before. And he said, I'm not going to decide for you, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Even if you're standing by a ditch today, God can meet you there. And maybe he'll meet you in a way that you were not expecting and take you on a ride you did not want to go on. But the two facts of the universe remain. There is a God and you are not him. We go with God. Let's sing and go live a life of faith.